Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we have an all-star cast of Tim, Lachlan, Justin, Camille, Lucy and Lauren. This week we find out about the latest research in some power plant technology taken straight from the pages of SimCity. We also find out what caused those fantastic aurora we saw this week. We also discuss some of the unusual physics in games such as Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, including combos, teleportations and finishing moves. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. So when you think about space, you don't generally associate it with weather. You don't really particularly associate the sun with poor weather or any type of weather at all, really. It's, it's the sun. There is a certain type of solar weather that has a lot to do with the sun itself. And much the same way there is a waxing and waning of the seasons, there's also a cycle in the behaviour of the sun. Now, we've noted since we've started really studying it in detail since about 1906 that there are weak and strong, what we call solar cycles. And these are points with really large sunspot activity and then not very many sunspot activity. Now, sunspots are what we call those darkened regions on the sun's surface. And what we know about them is they actually translate to really intense magnetic fields being formed and coronal loops, those big arcs of flaring um, burning gas, along with uh, solar flares or coronal mass ejections, where some parts of the corona of the sun are actually shot out. And so we, we, we notice periods of large activity and we notice periods of weak activity. So, so weak activity when we actually don't really see that many spots on the sun or many associated flares. And for recent memory, you know, there was a big peak last time around 2000 and 2001, and then it sort of bottomed out around 2009. And we've been on a slight increase, but the peaks that we've seen haven't been that high. Um, and, you know, we've predicted to, to bottom out again around 2020. So... What actually happens in this solar cycle? Well, we see different levels of activity in the sun. At the moment, we're considering ourselves in a weakened solar cycle. So while we're talking about weather on the sun, what we may have noticed that on the 17th of March, there was a large number of aurora visible in both the northern and the southern hemisphere. Now, aurora, sometimes referred to as the northern lights, if you're obviously in the north, or the aurora borealis, in Australia, um, which is what it's called in the north, head of hemisphere. In Australia, we see the aurora australis, which is southern lights, basically. Um, and they're beautiful, and they're caused by the interaction of solar flares, so ejection from the sun, travelling out all the way across the solar system, and then hitting our magnetosphere, an electromagnetic field that enshields our planet, and those beautiful dazzling colours that are arrayed across the sky are the result of the interactions of, of the, this massive solar flare wave and our electromagnetic field of Earth protecting us and shielding it and dispersing it. And it's really quite beautiful. Very deadly for satellites and sometimes for electronic equipment, but beautiful to look at. So what's happening, despite the fact we're in a weak solar weather cycle, we've actually had quite a large number of really strong solar flares. How big a solar flare are we seeing? Well, we're in what, what scientists call at the moment a G-force storm or a solar storm. It's basically like the sun's equivalent of a tsunami. Um, and if you would put them all in the same category as a type of an earthquake, you know, so kind of a, log a logarithmic scale like the Richter scale, but for solar flares, these would be about a nine. So pretty catastrophic solar flares that have happened. These big solar flares have occurred on the sun and then shot out and reverberated all the way to us. It's equivalent about in force to 100 megaton atomic bombs. 
So that that's that's pretty big. Um, but here on Earth, we're protected by our electromagnetic field, and that does the fantastic job of dispersing those solar flares and giving off the beautiful reddish glow or greens and different colors that we see. Now, we do need to note that this can cause damage to satellites. Obviously, they, they get hit by this. Um, it also can cause damage to a lot of other things because this big surge in electromagnetic activity in in like 1859 in the Carrington event where you know all the telegraph wires many of them actually caught fire and burned down because of the induced electromagnetic interference. Nowadays most modern electronics can filter that out but they can still cause a lot of issues. Um, fortunately this solar storm has now passed us and, and we're through it but it's a really interesting and beautiful phenomenon to think of all that destructive dangerous energy out there being safely dispersed by our protective electromagnetic field of Earth giving us a fantastic light show. So next time you see the aurora, take a moment to thank the electromagnetic field for not only providing you with fantastic entertainment, but also keeping you safe. If you have played SimCity 2000 or SimCity 3000 before, the simulation-based city-building games, you'll probably be familiar with the type of power plant that isn't actually really that feasible to build in the real world, unlike the, say, wind turbines, coal plants, oil plants, nuclear energy plants. There's a certain type of power plant that you can unlock in the game that really we haven't quite managed to build yet. Now, it's not because we don't know how to. That's quite simple. It's more that we're not quite sure if we could make it work safely. So what I'm talking about is, of course, microwave power plants. So we know that the sun produces energy, and we can harness that energy through using solar panels. And that works really, really well down here on Earth's surface. But it would work even better if we didn't have those pesky clouds in the way. Well, how do you get rid of those clouds in the atmosphere, chewing up the efficiency of your solar panels? It's quite simple build a massive solar panel array in space. Now, obviously, the problem there is, how do you get the energy from space back down to Earth? You can't run a really long extension cord all the way up to space, unless, of course, you build a space elevator, which is very complex and expensive. And even then, it would have to survive the amazing shear force and torsional effects of tethering yourself to a planet that's rotating very fast. Now, the solution to this that Japanese researchers have been actually working on for a very long time is the microwave solar energy plant. So what it does is it harnesses all the solar energy up there on a big station with a big solar sail. It doesn't even need to be that solid, but just big solar panels on a big sail-like fabric. Harnesses up all the energy and transmits it to Earth using a very tightly focused microwave beam. Now, I don't mean a microwave as in the thing that heats up your food. Well, I kind of do, but I more mean the type of radiation focused into a microwave. Micro meaning 10 to the power of negative 3 in size and wavelength. Now, what we would do with that is you beam it from space into a receiving dish on Earth, and you can actually, in theory, transfer energy this way. And that would mean you wouldn't need any wires, you wouldn't need any cords, and you don't need a really ridiculously long extension cable from the Earth's surface to space. But what you do need is some really powerful and very accurate satellite dishes that track each other and always shoot to exactly the wrong, the, 
and always shoot to exactly the right space. So now that we know what microwave power stations are, what's actually been done here? Well, it's been a pie-in-the-sky idea for a long time now. But researchers from the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, have been working on this for quite some time, but they've made a recent breakthrough. They've actually been managed to deliver microwave power, 1.8 kilowatts of power to be precise, enough to run a kettle, a distance of 55 metres with pinpoint accuracy. And they've run that test on Earth, and they've actually produced those results. And that's the longest distance and the highest power that anyone has ever managed to send via microwave. So this takes wireless power to really the next level. Now to get it working in space, they have to scale it up a bit. So instead of transferring 55 meters, they'll have to tra transfer over 36,000 kilometers, which is a bit different. And uh, you have to be really, really precise when you do so because any minor wobble in it, say something knocks the dish or the satellite, then all of a sudden that beam of highly concentrated energy may miss the target receiver and that could cause some calamities. And those of you who have played SimCity enough know that that can lead to some types of damage to your surrounding facilities. And this is some fascinating research being done by the Japan Aerospace Exploration Air Agency and really is taking us one step closer to the future. As always with Japan leading the way. First robots, now microwave solar power. Back. Mortal Kombat was totally biologically inactive. <laughs> Should have played more sport. Well, yes. Reptiles can't actually vomit acid. But also, you can't tear out spines. Can't you? Why not? Because You can't just be like, I'm just gonna fillet you <laughs> with one simple stroke. Yeah, like, like, uh, it, like, yeah. That's actually really disappointing. Yeah. All those <laughs> horror movies, they'd be lying to you. <laughs> Like, Has anyone ever gone through like, the Mortal Kombat fatalities and seen which ones you can and can't do? That sounds like an amazing blog. Someone do that. Alright, so what we're flagging here is that at some point in the future we will do a holistic review of Mortal Kombat death techniques. There's some crazy Whether or not they are scientifically accurate. And then this probably may be expanded into a longer series of video game mechanisms and death and how biologically inaccurate they are. Are we going off the most recent Mortal Kombat? Or like... well, well, please, tell us more about the most recent Mortal Kombat, because well, that should be the highest well, well, it's rated M.A.R. There's like the fanblade one that slices the guy's skull. Yeah. That's the one I saw. That's oh, like, the, the, the most modern one, like, when you do, like, this awesome move, it'll go x-ray mode, and so you can see the bones breaking. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that's pretty I think, I think that's, that was in the game before as well. Yeah, I don't know, I just have the most but, recent one. But that's not scientifically yeah. inaccurate. No. That's just entertainingly gory. That, that's it's just, just that's entertainingly more accurate. It's entertainingly accurate, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think that's really, like, the, the funniest part about all this is that a lot of biological processes are terrifying <laughs> in micro detail that when you you don't really consider in the large picture of it kind of gets like all covered up but like yeah, watching by skin like, yeah, yeah by skin <laughs> the secret keeper I call it <laughs> you call your body the secret no, keeper no the skin the secret keeper wait so that means like that only your body can give up the insides of your soul's location yeah and that's because my organs because my organs are all my weird secret sauce <laughs> So wait, if Voldemort wanted to find the the location of the, the boy who lived... My horcruxes are all my different organs. Right. I think we're mixing our Harry Potter metaphors, guys. 
that's what, that, that's really interesting. I haven't really thought about um, Mortal Kombat continuing as a game concept. I kind of like ascribe that to Pixel Eight Bit World of my past. Ooh, oh, man. Oh, wait, <laughs> it's, 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 now. it's just it's not good. It's just gory. Yeah, yeah. That's really like adding too much detail. Like the fighting games as a concept, they work in that really simplified eight bit, sixteen bit way that we had in arcade machines because. It simplified the motions. You only had a limited way you could move. You only had a limited number of buttons. So it was less about all the fantastic, realistic fighting you could do and it's more about button mash, weird stuff happen. So I feel like adding more realism it takes yeah, takes you to a weird place. No, because like, no, no, that's the thing. Though, by giving you a sim- what did Mortal Kombat gave you a simplified like a, a like this button punch, this button punch, like punch this one, this one kick. But the whole thing of Mortal Kombat was the combos. Yeah. It was how you combine the simple actions. Just like in, in like actual fighting is combined simple action like and timing simple actions to create quite devastating effects. Right. And so that was the whole point. And so the more detail you add from that, the more satisfaction you get when you've just done the or put off this insane combo and what you've done is actually X ray someone and break then, their bones. Well, no, you, 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 do, you, do, you do the right combo, you fillet someone. Like there's a sense of achievement yeah that's the payoff you hair as a whip to pull the dude and then you crush them with your heel that was my favourite I feel it it just is into an uncanny valley oh yeah Like the more realistic it gets, the more sadistic it gets. And the less realistic it gets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can make the lady fly and teleport. Right. I can't remember her name. Wasn't there one where you could teleport, like you had teleport abilities? Yeah. And then if you use it right, you teleport so your fist was through the guy's Yes, like, no, I know that dude because I played him. And with my brother and I, we'd do like t- tag team, so we'd verse uh, other two yeah, Mortal yeah. Kombat dudes, so we'd always be swapping over yeah. and like... So you, tell, you, tell, you teleport so your fist isn't suddenly inside them and then you pull your fist out. That's yeah. a serious risk from teleportation because yeah. depending on which method you're using about how we envisage teleportation potentially working, there's a stronger chance you would end up with a situation like the fly where then you not like your fist has ended up inside his body because the no. things that were inside his body, they can't just cease to exist. They have to go somewhere. So, have they become part of your hand? <laughs> the fly is a very optimistic example oh, of teleportation no, no, I, accidents. I, I, fully, I fully agree, but like, on a basic level, on conservation of mass, yeah. if yeah. your hand has gone inside his body, where has if the eternal say, organs gone? No, you're pulling them out. Yeah, yeah. No, because what I look. The teleportation is that do, do either, either swap, either swap, like, one for one, um, space for point in space for other point in space, and whatever was there goes here, and whatever was here goes there. Or like you've got three options: you've got you've got swap, or you've got merge, or you've got merge where um, where you point, recons- point, yeah. point A and point B are both phased into each other, and you have, and so they're both trying to occupy the same space at the same time, which generally leads to explosions. Or the yeah, quantum now, physics doesn't like that. Uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, and, but then the third option here is that you have um, not replace sort of uh, displace where you have if you teleport into a chamber full of air before you teleport in the teleportation process somehow clears that air from that environment 
and makes a vacuum, which then you teleport into. So, in the case of me, like teleporting, so my fist is through someone's yeah, you, chest. You would have to create a vacuum. I've displaced some of his organs, and yeah. he's got a slight bulge to one side. Yeah, and then and then lack of the spine. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you'd like that very much. It doesn't sound comfortable. At this point, I think we're beyond. That. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're both, I think we're beyond vague comfort levels. <laughs> that's that's kind of really one of the funny parts about like when you get into games, like how how accurate do you want their physics and simulation to be? Because you can really realistically simulate physics and do like the quantum mechanics tells you that your explosion. So like you, yeah. you give them a pass and say, okay, you can teleport, but you then still have to deal with the rest of the laws of physics. <laughs> or you kind of just make it a bit magical and fudge it on the micro level so that it makes it cool, mm-hmm. which is what you do with the, the fist punching thing. But it also leads into another uncanny valley about fighting game physics, where then you start, okay, well, um, we have to start, instead of having 8-bit representations of people which are flat and 2D, we start having 3-dimensional representations of people and 3-dimensional physics for all the different body parts, hair, which is spectacularly difficult to simulate, as well as you go down the dead or alive route, where then you end up with weird physics for everything in completely unrealistic ways. Dude, the, the breast physics market is actually huge. There is yeah. a lot of money to be made in breast physics. Yeah, the, but also, like, in this, and there's also two profit streams there. It's make them more realistic, or make them completely unrealistic. <laughs> this has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we discussed the Aurora Australis microwave radiation power stations along with this oddness of Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat physics and finishing moves and teleportation. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.